I need this today. Okay. Today we are looking at Joseph's life again, and we are going to look at family betrayal. Last week, we left Joseph had just had two dreams, and those dreams were confirming what God was going to do, but also confirming where Jacob himself has put Joseph to be. He has figured this son of his was going to be somebody. He quite couldn't understand it, so he pondered on those dreams. And today, we're looking at how the other brothers want to kill that dream. Genesis 37, verses 12 through 36. If we can have that up, that's right. Then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel, that is Jacob, said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, Here I am. When he said to him, and then he said to him, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers, and well with the flocks, and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron, and he went to Shechem. Now a certain man found him there. He was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What are you seeking? So he said, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, They have departed from here. For I heard them say, Let us go to Dotham. And so Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Now, when they saw him from afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit, and we shall say, some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. Huh. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands, and he bring him back to his father. So it came to pass, when Joseph had come to his brothers, that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. Then they took him and cast him into a pit, and then the pit was empty. There was no water in it. When they sat down to eat a meal, then they lifted their 
eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing spices, balm, and myrrh, and on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. Then Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. Then Reuben returned to the pit, and indeed Joseph was no longer in the pit, and he tore his clothes. He returned to his brothers and said, The lad is no more, and I, where shall I go? So they took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of goats, and dipped the tunic in the blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, We found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? And he recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is turned to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and put sackcloth on him on his waist and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I shall go down in the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Now the Midianites had sold him to Egypt, sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. Let us pray. God, your will always prevails. Whatever you have planned for our lives will never change. It may be delayed. It may be detoured, but it will come to pass. May we learn today as we look at Joseph's life. May we find courage, may we find grace for our own lives and the lives of our loved ones. In the name of Jesus, amen. Those dreams that Joseph had pointed to the fact that one day Joseph would be somebody, the head of the family, in spite of being the 11th son of Jacob. So with those facts in mind, Joseph must have felt very, very good. And he was ready to set out to do an errand for his dad. Have you ever had heartbreak of a shattered dream? 
I have. Everything was set. You were sure things were going to turn out in a certain way. And then the bottom falls out. Maybe it was a child that did not turn out the way you envisioned. Maybe it's a financial setback that broke your heart. Maybe it was a marriage that did not go as you had hoped it would go. Life, it often seems, is a series of shattered dreams. For every one of us, whether we are Christians, Muslims, Sikhs, Baha'is, Buddhists, everyone living in this world, life can sometimes be that way. When our dreams are shattered, it often leaves us devastated, confused, and upset. Let us examine today how Joseph was betrayed by his own family to kill his dream. First, let us look at Jacob's call. Jacob called Joseph his son, his loving son, beloved son, and said to him, Come, I will send you to them, to his brothers. And what was the directive that Jacob gave? Go and see if things are okay with your brothers. That was the directive. I want you to go find out how it's going, not just with your brothers, but with a flock. Go and find out. That was the directive. Now, this shows that Jacob was concerned about his sons. Why? Why was Jacob concerned? Let me suggest three reasons. They were 50 miles away from home, looking after his flock. 50 miles away from home. Number one reason, it was because of the place where they were, Shechem. Now, if you have been following in our study, when, he, when Jacob and his family came to this place in Canaan, his daughter Dinah was raped. And Simeon and Levi, two sons of Jacob, tricked the men of one village. After they were circumcised, the third day when they were really in pain, they came upon those men and slaughtered them all. Shechem. So Jacob was concerned about where they were, but he was also concerned that his children were vulnerable. The Shechemites will revenge against them, he thinks. Number three reason, because of their past conduct. Remember, Joseph had served with four of the other brothers in the field, and he brought bad reports about them. Some things they did that did not satisfy Joseph, and he said, I must tell dad. 
So the place where they were, the people they were living among, that will make them be vulnerable, but because of their past. But this brings us to something we must consider about Jacob. Okay? So let's look at Jacob's disdain. Not just his concern, but his disdain and disregard for parental control. Why will he send Joseph? Well, let me suggest to you, it would seem that Jacob was a father but not a parent. It appears that he was out of touch with the family dynamics playing out between his children. Many parents are like that in our society. They're too busy providing for their families and less concerned about what is happening among their children. You know, I have six grandsons, and I spend money to buy them toys and things and take them places. But I also watch out for them. Just a couple weeks ago, one of my 10-year-old sons, I saw him on Facebook, 10-year-old. He had lied about his age. And so I took a snapshot Send it to his mom, say, hey, look at this. This little boy is playing some evil tricks. And his mom had some good talk with him, but I called him on Sunday when it was Monday here and had a chat with him. I told him, it is a no-no. You cannot. But many parents don't do that. Jacob was a father, but not a parent. If Jacob was paying attention, he would have known by this time that the other siblings hated Joseph with malice. You know, as we will say today, the other boys hated Joseph with guts. Yeah, they hated him. But the second thing we must concern about Jacob is that clearly Joseph was not the one he should be sending to go look for his brothers when they were far away from home and from the watchful eyes of him. Thirdly, Jacob underestimated the problems in his own family. He could not really understand what was going on. He may have been aware and believe that the boys were not, not capable of harming Joseph. He could have said to himself, oh yeah, he's, he's one of their brothers. They will not harm him. But as we shall see, they were not only capable of harming, they were also capable of murdering him. How would a dad not see that? But again, you know, he had 12 sons and one daughter. So probably he was too busy, a man. He was a rich man. 
So that's Jacob. But let's come back to Joseph after the directive from his dad. How did Joseph respond? Let's look at Joseph's commitment. Joseph, in 37 verse 13, responded to his father's directive in three ways. And let's notice those three ways. First, it was prompt. In verse 13, it says, here I am. You know, these days when we call our children, they're busy on their phones or on the computer or in the game station. And the next thing they ask you, you say, John? They say, what? They do that. Yeah? My three-year-old grandson asks that. You call Jaden, what? In my day, when I, my mom calls me and I say, what? My jaw will notice something. <laughs> oh, yes. You know, where did I get that from? <laughs> but these days, they do that. Joseph, his dad calls him and he says, here I am. It was prompt, without question. Joseph accepted his father's directive and left home in search of his brothers. He knew the risk, but obedience to his father's commitment was his priority. Remember, I told you, Joseph had a lot of things that made him a type of Jesus in the Old Testament. This is one place. This is one place. Jesus came into this world because his dad, his father sent him. He told his disciples in John 4, 34, my food is to do my father's will. I am in my father's business. Where Joseph, his father called him, sent him with directive, and he said, here am I. It was prompt. But he was also persistent. In Genesis 37, 15 to 17, he was persistent. The first thing we notice that about that persistency is when he went to Shechem, where they were supposed to be, they were not there. He sought direction from a stranger. Joseph if it was me, could have concluded to say, hey, mission accomplished. Go to Shechem, I'm here. They're not there. But he wanted to follow his father's directive to the letter. You know, last week, we say, if you look at Joseph and just read him with a human mind, you say, he's a snitch. He tells on his brothers, Right? And I, in my opinion, he's not. Because if he was, at this point, he would have just said, okay, you know, they're not there in Shechem. I don't see them. So I'll go back and tell dad. And maybe he would have said, you see, I told you they were no good, you know. They're not even where they said they were. But that's not Joseph. That's not Joseph. 
he went above and beyond, walking an extra 20 miles from Shechem to Dothan without a GPS. But he went. So it was not just prompt. It was not just persistent in his commitment, but it was also personal. Here Joseph telling the stranger, I am seeking my brothers. And that's the directive that has given him. Go find out about your brothers and the flock. So he took it personal. He took it personal. He did not mind the extra distance and the risk involved in making that journey. Jacob called. He directed. Joseph responded promptly, persistently, and personally. Now, let's look at the brother's conspiracy. From verse 18 onwards, we see a downside of this whole episode. We see the brother's hatred for Joseph manifest itself in the most heartless and cruel way. Let us examine how they did that. First, the perception of Joseph. They did not have binoculars in those days, but they spotted Joseph from afar. And you say, how would they recognize him? Well, of course, he had that coat for which they hated him. So it was easy to spot him. And instead of saying, here comes our brother, listen to their perception of him. Here comes the dreamer. Here comes the dreamer. When you hate people so much and you can't even call their names, something is wrong. Something is wrong. Here comes the dreamer. No hint of brotherly love. In derision, they call him the dreamer. A conspiracy. They perceived him to be nothing less than just a dreamer. But let's look at their plot. The plot. In 37, verse 20 and 21, it was a punitive plot. Let us kill him. Just like that. Here comes that dreamer. Let us kill him. It was premeditated. They all conspired together. They have thought about it at home. They thought about it all this while while they were feeding their father's flock. And now Joseph comes and they say, let's act on it. 
You know, these men allowed sin to take hold of their lives. That he was now giving birth to mother. James 1.5 gives us a definition of that. Sin, when it is fermented in our hearts, it gives birth to death. Their plot was put in check by two of their brothers. Reuben's proposal, verse 21 and verse 22. Reuben, his proposal was to save Joseph. And what was his reasoning? Well, manslaughter is better than murder. That was his reason. He wanted to save him. He said, let's put him in the pit and hoping that he will come back at some point and pick him up. All right? But Reuben is a weak guy. Again, we see another type of Jesus in Joseph here. John 1.11 tells us he came to his own and his own rejected him. And verse 12 says, but as many as received him to them gave he power to become children of God. Joseph has come to his own brothers and they say, let's kill him. That's Jacob, I mean, Reuben's reasoning. Now, let's look at Judah's proposal. Judah said to his brothers, let us not kill him, let us sell him. So Reuben, his proposal was to save his reasoning was manslaughter is better than murder. Now Judah's proposal is to sell him. And you know what his reason is? Let someone else be responsible for his death. What do we see in all these proposals? It's one thing. Get rid of Joseph and his dreams. That's the one thread that runs through both proposals. Get rid of him. and his dreams. At some point, it looks like Reuben left the brothers, went to do something. Maybe he went to use the toilet. He returns, and Judah had cooked his own plan and convinced all the brothers to say, okay, ah, that's nice, you know, it's better to sell him than to kill him. And so he returns, and now we see his panic. Reuben is panicked. In 37 verse 30, he says, and I, what shall I do? And I. He panicked, not because of the little boy, but because of himself. Because Reuben is the eldest son. 
So now he's thinking, oh boy, I'm in trouble. When we go to dad, he's not going to ask the others, he's going to ask me. So Reuben was, has panicked, not because of Joseph's not being in the pit, but because of how to save his own skin. And now there's trouble. Now there is trouble. The boy is no longer there. And let's look at the brother's pretense of morality. From verse 27 to 29, when they first saw Joseph in verse 19, they said, here comes the dreamer. All right? Mark that. Here comes the dreamer. In verse 27, now, they say, let's not kill our brother. He's our own flesh. When they first saw him, he's not a brother. He's not their own flesh. Now that they're selling him, they call him brother and flesh. Oh, man. You know, remember those of you who read Julius Caesar, the famous saying, eight to Brutus? How Brutus betrayed Julius Caesar, coming to him with a sword with the enemies. And again, this is a type of Jesus. Who was the one that led the crowd to arrest Jesus? Was it a stranger? It was one of his followers. Pretense of morality. For many of us in the church, we have come to the place where we think if we lie, if we do things bad, oh, God understands. But the people outside of the church, God is going to judge them. And we have taken some sins to be white and black. Oh, it's a white lie. Only the politicians do bad lies. And so we try to see one sin is okay and the other is not. Depends on who commits it. If it is us in the church, it's okay. God knows, you know. We have grace. If it's people outside, oh, they need judgment. The brothers convinced themselves that selling their brother was okay and a lesser sin than killing him. And you know, we are not told how their heart condition was and what Joseph felt in chapter 37. But in chapter 42, verse 21, we are told that Joseph pleaded with them. You know, mark that if you go home. Read chapter 42, verse 21. Mark it. So the brothers are pretending now to be holy, Oh, let us not kill our brother and our flesh. Let us just sell him. If he is your brother, what difference does it make? 
selling or killing him. You just don't do something like that to your brother. Well, reality has now stepped in. And the brothers will have to go give account of Joseph. They've sold him. And now, what do they do when they go back and meet their dad? So let's look at the false report that the brothers prepared. In verses 31 to 33, they cooked up a report. And that report was a committed deception. Committed to deceive. And they conspired about the reports. And they were all committed to making this deception for the long haul. It took 22 years from the time they sold him to the time they met him in Egypt, concealing that crime. All the time. It was not just a committed deception. It was a callous report. These brothers were not only callous to Joseph, but they were callous to their dad also. How would they look him in the face and tell him, Look, do you recognize this tunic? They know that tunic. They know it belongs to Joseph, but here they are, cowards. They could not stand to his face and say, oh, we sold him. It was a cowardly report. They dipped the tunic in the blood of a kid goat. But you know something? There's a saying that what goes around Around. For Jacob, this is payback time. In Genesis 27, verse 16, Jacob had deceived his dad with the skin of a goat. And many, many years later, his children, his sons, are deceiving him with the blood of a goat. Hmm. Hmm. I wonder what Jacob was thinking. Did he recall that? Don't know. What goes around comes around. After hearing his son's deceptive, callous report, Jacob, we see him in a remorseful state. Jacob's remorse. Jacob was badly hurt. Jacob lived with the grief for a long time. He said, I'm going to mourn till I meet my son. But you know something? For Jacob, he was on the other hand better than the sons. Because while he was grieving, 
For a long time, the sons were carrying on that guilt for a long time. Yep. So he was better off. But he grieved for his son anyway. Brothers and sisters, what dreams have you had shattered? Who in your life has aspired to kill your dream? What has God given you that you think, oh, I thought this is what God wants me to do or to say. And now things look bleak. Joseph must have been thinking that. What is going to happen to my dream? He's been separated now from his family. Stay tuned. Next time we meet Joseph, when I have chance to preach, we share about that. But he has some lessons to learn from this passage. Parents, leaders, beware of what goes on among those under your authority. That's one lesson we can learn. Treats people without favoritism. It breeds jealousy, envy, malice. And even can lead to murder. Second lesson, beware of envy. Beware of envy. Next, beware of guilt. There's nothing more troubling than to be guilty of something you know you have done or I have done and going around. It robs you of your peace. Yeah. When we talk about people, things that is not true, and we see them go down, that guilt robs us. The next thing we have to learn Sin hurts. Sin hurts. My sin will affect not just me, but it will affect people around me. The colors sin of these brothers not only hurt Jacob, not only hurt Joseph, who was made to be separated from his family for 22 good years, but he hurt them also. When they stood before Joseph in Genesis 42 and 43, next time they came to Egypt, they said, did our hearts not burn within us when we heard him plead with us? So all these years, 22 years, they did not have peace. Sin hearts. And the next lesson, there's penalty for sin. You know, one of these days I posted on Facebook, in spite of inflation, everywhere people's salaries are increased to adjust for inflation, right? 
But God has been so generous, the wages of sin has remained just the same. Death. He has not increased it. And besides, he says, if you want an increment, accept the son and you will have eternal life. In that verse, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But the gifts of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So there's penalty for sin. But final point, the providence of God will always prevail. The things that God has promised you and me, they can be detoured, they can be derailed, but they will never be stopped. Amen? God's providence and his will for your life, for my life, will always come to pass. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for the mighty way you work in our lives. We see an example of how you has begun a work in Joseph's life and how you will prove that nothing can stop, derail, or destroy your plan. May we take courage in that this week as we go through our own lives and for the lives of our loved ones, children, husbands, wives, Workers, friends, may we know that what you have said will come to pass on our lives. Thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.